0: Welcome to the third episode of the Monolith Medium podcast, uh, a.k.a. uh, What the Hell Did I Just Watch podcast. We're slightly switching the name here uh, for a variety of reasons, but... I think I explained that on the last episode, but what I'd like to say going forward is that we are on Apple Podcasts. Uh, You can find us there at the Monolith Medium Podcast, and we would love if you could subscribe and give us a five-star rating. That would be beautiful Um, just to kind of get our name out there. Give us a good comment. Uh, We'd love to read your feedback. Um, But yes, today what we're going to be talking about is the film You Were Never Really Here, uh, this is a film by Lynn Ramsey, the director of a film you may have watched called We Need to Talk About Kevin. Uh, it's starring Joaquin Phoenix, uh, who's absolutely fantastic in the film. Um, but we're not going to be talking about what I love about this film um, in this podcast. What we're going to be talking about is all of these little moments uh, that are fairly incomprehensible, that may be a little bit difficult to decipher. Um, and kind of put it all together uh, to come away with a thesis, and in this case, uh, kind of a way forward uh, from the film. And so again, we're going to take all these incomprehensible moments, kind of put it into a, put it into a blender, then kind of like separate it all back out again, uh, and uh, just kind of like decipher what's going on in this film. Um, but That being said, if you do want to have more of my actual opinion on what I love about this film, what I would love you to do is go to monelfmedium.com and go to the film reviews page and uh, read my review of the film. Um, You Were Never Really Here is definitely one of the best films of uh, 2018. I kind of go a little bit beyond that even in uh, in my review, but I'd love to hear uh, your opinion on it. I hope that uh, this podcast uh, gives you a little bit of clarity on it. But again, we're talking about You Were Never Really Here, And without further ado, let's get into the discussion. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about You Were Never Really Here. It's a difficult film to discuss, to be honest, just because it is so polarizing. There's a lot of moments that may seem fairly um, kind of simple and... And, you know, not complex, almost to the point of kind of being, uh, mediocre. And I think that that is one of the things that we have to kind of work through early on in this discussion, just so that we can kind of get past these things and see them for what they really are, instead of relying them, relying on them too much for like some kind of, um, as some kind of narrative device. And I'll explain what I mean by that here in a second. But I think, again, we need to go through these details just to get through them to go to the moments that actually matter. All these moments that I'm going to be discussing do have legitimate standing in the thesis of the film. But at the same time, they can easily be misconstrued. And, and often they actually come across as like really simple. Um, and when you see these things early on, and when you hold that with the rest of the film which is edited really uniquely and maybe is a little bit difficult to understand these moments I think become kind of like a flashpoint for criticism in a way they should be because they're not the uh they're not a representation of the best moments of the film um but we should hold these moments up in contrast with what we believe that Lynn Ramsey might have actually intended with the film, which is a different thing than saying what her intent actually is. Um, but at the same time, I think that we, we, can, we can assume a lot based on the rest of the film, but let's, let's go through these moments uh, first. Um, the title of the film is act, you know is "You were never really here," which is evocative in its own sense. Um, but Ramsey does a lot of kind of like riffing on this, uh, which is really effective, I think, in the end, but it's not effective, I feel, in the moment. Um, but there's a lot of little moments that kind of bolster that title. Um, we see early on in the film cars pass in the foreground and Joe disappears behind them. You know, you were never really here. The water found at the airport puts out water um, and a, a woman actually watches it and then it goes away. You know, it stops without pressing a button. Again, like, was someone there? Um, These moments in general aren't like super useful um, to describe the actual, you know, concept of the film. But what they actually do is when we kind of go to the end and kind of come back to these moments, we, we see that there is actually like real directorial intent here. It's not just to kind of like be smoke and mirrors or to like, you know, posture yourself as more complex than you really are, which we can talk about those things later. There are some other things that are going on in the film that are just harder to define uh, for me. Um, when Joe gets home for the first time, his mother is watching the film Psycho, um, and it's kind of interesting. The film Psycho is important, I feel, in here somehow, but it's kind of hard to understand the ways in which it is. The reason why I say it has to be important is because, well, first of all, it's you know a guy who's basically you know a killer. He's not a psychopath, maybe, but he's at least a killer. Most likely, at least a sociopath, and he's living with a mother um, who has, you know, been there forever. I'm assuming, and and honestly, I <laughs> I struggle with with his relationship with his mother in certain aspects because I'm not quite sure his real relationship there, I have no idea if it's actually imaginary or not, I don't have any evidence of that, I don't know how useful it is, but what I can say is I do have some reasons to believe that it could be the case, Uh, for instance, when Joe opens opens his fridge, he sees everything in there that is rotten, and he says, he tells his mom that there's a package of cream cheese from like 1972, afterwards she references a girlfriend from 20 years ago, like stuff like that, supports the themes that we're going to be discussing later um, in kind of like a glancing way, but these are the things that I actually think might get in the way for some people. I want to get them out there just because I want people to know that these things do matter, but they're not going to be what we're going to discuss today. I think... um, you know whether his mother is dead or alive is um, cer- certainly an interesting discussion, but it actually doesn't hold too much weight. I think in the thesis of the um, of the project as as a whole. Um, so we kind of have that out of the way. We have out we have out of the way these whole things where he's disappearing, um, and uh, we'll just continue on. Let's just call these expressionistic moments, um, and not really like worry about them too much. All right. So yeah, let's continue on. Uh, Let's continue forward to the stuff that really matters to the discussion here. Uh, What I would like to do is talk about Joe and what's going on in the themes and then break down uh, some of these moments um, just to give reason to things. So, yes, we're going to talk about Joe first. Um, Joe is an interesting character on many levels, but um, probably the most important thing that we learn early on is that Joe is suicidal. Uh, Literally the first shot of the film that we see him, he has a bag over his head and he's breathing and trying to do this, and he ends up taking the bag off of his head, but we know that he's suicidal and we can assume most of this kind of these suicidal tendencies and all of these anxieties and depression that he feels are as a result of the trauma that he's faced um as a child and as a uh, a soldier um joe is a veteran is what it seems like that they, they don't really talk about that too much in the film which i think is uh to the film's benefit um but yes uh the trauma of uh, child abuse, the trauma of everything he experienced as a soldier, is probably the most important plot device in the entire film. Um, and it's actually probably the most um, elegantly like interwoven flashbacks uh, in almost any film, I think, just because they don't beleaguer the point too much. Um, but let's just talk about why they're important. The reason this trauma is so important to the film is not, is not for kind of the conventional reasons that... Uh, ptsd stories are are really dealt with the reason it's important is because of how it lives in the present how his past dominates his actions in the present um we flash back and see a young joe hiding in a closet and later we see him doing the exact same thing he's hiding in the closet first of all when he was hiding in the closet when he was a kid it was because of the abuse that his father was carrying out on his mother and he was hiding there counting down um But then when we see him later he's still going through the same things he's still experiencing trauma of some kind he's reliving that over and over again and so he's in the closet we see joe's abusive father with a towel over his head um these are in flashbacks this is either uh expressionistic comment on joe's recollection of his father that he doesn't really remember his face or like who he is in this way not just his face but who he is all that much or it could just be a literal memory Um, But either way, we see Joe in the sauna doing the exact same thing later. He's sitting with this towel over his head, just kind of like brooding deeply. Um, And again, we see these flashbacks live in the present, not just as like, you know, remembering what happened, but just affecting Joe and all of his actions. And this is what pushes Joe forward in every way. Um, But let's talk about why these flashbacks are unique the backwards looking focus in this film is like integral uh, to understanding the film's thesis, but probably not for the reasons why you might think. So these, these flashbacks give us a reason as to why Joe is in the business that he is in and why he does what he does. But this isn't like a film about, you know, a guy taking it to the bad guys, um, or, you know, something like, I make the comparison to Taken in my review of the film. This isn't, this isn't, A movie about that. This isn't about an ex-military guy who's super smooth and who's able to go in and save all of these these girls. This is a film about Joe's struggle just to find meaning. Um, And the reason why it matters is Joe could theoretically have done anything with his life. He was ex-military and he could have done anything, but what he does is he decides to work for these security contractors to save these girls. And we see the reason why he's doing this is in an effort to preserve innocence of any kind. We learn that over over time, the goal is incredibly different from like again the goal of like you know Liam Neeson and Taken, where he's going to save a girl and he's taking it to these bad guys. He's saying I'm you know I'm gonna you know fuck you up. It's it's not about that. Uh, This is about Joe trying to trying to preserve some kind of purity in this just completely dark world. And there's all these reasons to support this, so let's get into this. Joe is trying to save people from what he experienced as a child and what his mother experienced as a result of his father's abuse, and then further trying to save girls from the death and horror that he saw as a as a veteran. So again, what we're seeing here with Joe is not is not someone who just you know has a special set of skills, um, and in fact, it would be it would be a problem to characterize him that way because he doesn't have these like smooth polished edges of like any other kind of the way you think of ex-military. The man goes with him with a hammer and he's just really, he's not clumsy at all, I shouldn't say, but he is just like, he's calculated and direct and he doesn't, there's no obfuscation of like what he's going to do and there's no style to what he does. He just has one goal and he's going for straight toward it. Um, and And that's kind of, that defines joe i think really uniquely kind of in the in the grand scheme of films that are kind of about trafficking and kidnap uh like this and so you may ask you know his search for purity and innocence or at least the preservation of it why, why is that motivation uh so important or dissimilar from other films like it and you'd ask you know like what is the functional difference between joe's motivation and you know again liam leeson's and taken and the difference is that Joe is actively looking for something. He's looking for a reason to go on, and his reasons for living, and his reason for living is simply out of a desire to help these girls, and not for their own sake, but just to try to push back the general darkness uh, of the world around him. And that's the struggle that we see Joe go through throughout the entire film. There's one of the one of the more visually powerful scenes in the film. Um, we find Joe on a train platform and he's getting ready a train is approaching and he kind of leans out of the darkness into the light and when he leans out he's actually leaning over the tracks and so we know because of his suicidal tendencies that he's kind of of this mind where he's about to throw himself over onto the tracks and kill himself we see that but then we cut to a shot where there's a girl whose half of her face is obscured um, by a pillar and she has a bruise under her eye and Joe sees her and when he sees her he leans back away from the train now what do we get out of that well what we get out of that is we see that that, that his reason for a living is literally just to save these people from this trauma and try to put an end to this cycle of just you know a, a terrible trauma um, that's been taken out on these people and in this world it's not just you know, the individual people he's saving it's just everything that he sees and so again she's almost definitely not there in reality. We can kind of assume that. But this scene, this scene shows Joe's mentality. It shows his reason for living. And so now that we're all on the same page about that, um, let's kind of continue forward uh, now that we know this about Joe, now that we know that where, where Joe's head is and what he's living for. The tragedy of You Were Never Really Here isn't just that sex track Trafficking happens, which is just a terrible tra- tragedy. There's no reason to even try to diminish that. But it's not about that. It's not about all these people dying in the process of him trying to save her. It's not about the individual trials and pain that Joe and Nina face. You know, with him getting hit and just brutally beaten. It's it's just this onslaught of this dark, corrupt world uh, with no hope. And you were never really here. Asks. And answers, I should say, the question of what do you do if that's the case? What do you do if the world is just dark and hopeless and corrupt? And so this is where we're at. We see Joe, who is suicidal for all of these reasons, who's trying to find just light in the world, trying to find something in the world. And he does so in this really brutal way. But this is the way that he knows to do, I mean, this is what he. This is what he's trying to do. He's trying to preserve innocence. He's trying to save at least a little bit of purity. He's trying to find light in the world. Then, if you can't find light in the world, what do you do? What do you do? All right, so let's pivot for a second here. One of the motifs of the film is counting backwards. So we we see it happen throughout the film. The film actually starts. Um, where we hear presumably a young Joe counting backwards from 10, right? I think it's, I say 10, I actually think it's probably not 10, but he's counting backwards. Um, And we hear his father in the background yelling at him, you know, stand up straight, stand up straight, telling him to, you know, like face, you know, stand up. And we hear this counting backwards uh, throughout the entire film. And the counting backwards, the way it's used in this is it's, it's a method that, you know, children and people use to get through these like terrible moments of their life. So as Joe hides in a closet and this abuse is happening outside of his door, we hear him count down and we hear him, you know, counting down that, you know, when he gets to when he gets to zero, it'll all be over. And that's that's the intent. We see that happen. We see Nina later um, when Joe initially goes into the house. The first one he goes into and he finds her, she's laying on the bed and the camera's out of focus. And we hear her counting backwards. And slowly, as it comes into fo- it slowly comes into focus as we as we get closer to one and to zero. And then, um, even as Joe is trying to pick her up and get her going, she doesn't she doesn't react because she's still counting backwards. And then when she gets to one, she goes one, and then she kind of comes to in this world and again this is her just completely checking out until we get to zero this is a method that people are using to get through these traumatic times it's like a way of coping with this she doesn't she doesn't even acknowledge the outside world until she's reached one and this is again all to maintain sanity through this trauma. But the sad thing about the film, I mean, really the tragedy here is that we know that once she gets to zero, it's not over. And that's what happens in that moment, too. She goes, she she counts to zero and she wakes up and then, you know, almost immediately, first of all, she sees... Uh, Joe have to kill a man to get out and he says close your eyes but it's just she doesn't it's just completely brutal and then later obviously she's kidnapped and this whole cycle just keeps continuing and so again when we're counting down we're counting through this trauma and we're like "When when it's over it'll be over and that's just not the case there's a moment that actually kind of like illuminates uh that as well after Joe has rescued Nina uh, they find out that Senator Albert Vado, who's Nina's father, um, has killed himself. Uh, and this most likely happens because he knows that Joe's plan has been compromised, and he knows that he won't be able to get his daughter back the way that he wanted. He actually knows probably that Governor Williams is going to be kidnapping his daughter, and, and he knows this cycle. Uh, and and it comes true. I mean, I shouldn't say to his own credit, but I mean, he he knew what was going to happen, and it did. And Gunner, Governor Williams uh, kidnaps Nina again, uh, and he kills himself uh, before that even happens because he knew it was going to happen. Um, and we kind of like get a little bit more clues to his motivation later, uh, because later in the film, um, the two men that break into Joe's mother's house are, you know, one of them dies, but one of them shot on the floor, and Joe asks, you know, what happened to what happened to Votto or something like he asks about Vado and the he the man on the floor says he wanted out all of it is and he fades away but I mean it's hard to know exactly what he's saying in this moment but it's pretty easy to assume that he is going to say something like all of it is corrupt you know everybody involved knows how terrible it is we'll explore this moment uh, in that scene a little bit later but let's kind of get back to the counting motif um, later in the film, we get like a more cinematic look at Senator Votto as he's approaching the edge of the building that he jumps off of, that he kills himself off of. And he's about to jump off. But in the scene, we actually hear Nina counting backwards. Um, and again, she's, with her counting, she's waiting for the trauma to end. And right after she gets to one, we hear her get to one. And then what we presume would be zero, we see Vado jump off the ledge. And considering Joe's suicidal actions and how his flashbacks live so much in the present, these flashbacks to these traumatic events, it's easy to see what Ramsey is essentially saying here. She's saying that the trauma never ends. It really never ends. Even after you reach one, waiting for it all to finish, that doesn't adequately give you a way forward. You know, what do you get on the other side of one senator ravato saw the world for what it was and he decided it wasn't worth continuing so again we hear him we hear nina say you know three two one he jumps off the edge and that's his decision that's what he does on the other side of one and this theme in general um of kind of just you know futility and hopelessness something that we see throughout it's not a unique one to this film um but the ways that it deals with it are unique. And, and, and the way that we, the, the kind of the scope of its you know, discussion of hope is, is unique to the film. And we'll get into that um, a little bit later. But there's one scene that I want to talk about that kind of allows us to propel through the rest of the movie. Um, there's a moment earlier in the film where Joe is sitting in on McCleary's couch eating jelly beans so McCleary is basically um, a security contractor that pays Joe to carry out these missions for him uh, but he's sitting on the he, Joe is sitting on his couch he's eating jelly beans and he's going through them, and he says there there aren't any green ones there're never any green ones and they continue the discussion and McCleary tells him about the next mission the next thing that's going to be coming up the next you know the next a chance to save somebody. And then he finds one. So Joe finds one and he looks at it and he says there's a green one. He holds it in his fingers. And then he crushes it in his fingers. And I think this moment makes far more sense in context with the rest of the film. Joe is searching for innocence and he's searching for these things uh and, and a way forward, but he's Realizing at every turn that it doesn't exist, um, and it maybe never even did exist, we see this not only just in his state of mind because this isn't his first mission; he's done this before, but he's still suffering the same, the same uh, trauma and the same mentality, the same circular mentality of there's just no hope and there's no reason to any of this. And so we see him; he finds the green jelly bean, and then he crushes it in his hand. It never even existed. And again, this whole idea that that purity and innocence doesn't really exist that this 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 mission that he has for himself to to somehow find something bright into the world is it, is hopeless <laughs> and that's that's the that's the struggle with this film specifically and with Joe is like he just he's looking for something he's looking for a reason to go on. And he can't find it because this world is just dominated with this darkness. And he's surrounded almost kind of like uh, like taxi driver where it's just, you know, everything that he sees is terrible. And that's defined by his past. But the trauma never ends. His reality was and is based in that trauma. And let's talk about that a little bit more. Let's go back to that scene with the man that had broken into Joe's mother's house. He's laying on the floor dying with a gunshot wound in his stomach, and in the background we hear a song by uh, Charlene, um, and the song's called uh, Never Been to Me. The man on the ground, after hearing this song, starts to sing along, um, kind of like almost in a Magnolia moment in a way, and the uh, lyrics provide tremendous context. Both of the men um, start singing because Joe gets down on the ground, he's laying next to him. and we hear, we hear them saying, sometimes I've been crying for unborn children that might have made me complete, but I, I took the sweet life and never knew I'd be bitter from the sweet. I spent my life exploring the subtle whoring that cost too much to be free. I've been to paradise, but i would never been to me. And they're singing this song, and eventually what they do is they actually grab hands in the middle and hold each other's hands as presumably this man dies. The first line in this, sometimes I've been to crying for unborn children that might have made me complete, is I mean, fairly obviously powerful for Joe. I mean, that's literally his entire struggle as he's talking about, or he he struggles with just, just finding these things that don't exist, but he's hoping it will make him complete, you know, hoping it will make him right. He's searching for this thing that literally doesn't exist that that is literally never going to be there, but he's looking for it just to make himself complete. And then the line afterwards, I spent my life exploring the subtle whoring that costs too much to be free. And that lyric is clearly so relevant for the, for the man that's dying, for the company man, the guy with the American flag pin on his jacket, who probably joined you know, security and politics and all these things, just, just as a way of, you know, moving forward. And he probably thought this was the right thing to do criminal justice and protecting, you know, the interest of the state. He probably thought that this is the right thing to do. But again, the line, I spent my life exploring the subtle whoring that cost too much to be free. And then the final line brings them both together. I've been to paradise, but I've never been to me they hold hands in the middle and again they're joined over this bond at this recognition of the outside world this moment adds a lot of scope to the film because again this film is not just about joe's struggle with you know with hopelessness and futility this film is about like human struggle in general to find something worthwhile just to continue on you know what do we define as worthwhile and kind of in the face of this kind of like onslaught of darkness we're talking about you know Sisyphus and I mean this is something that we've always dealt with is what do we do when we're confronted with darkness another film this year First Reformed deals with that same issue you know what do you do when you're confronted just with the blackness of future of the future and just kind of the hopelessness of that And let's bolster that even more. Another line from the song that we hear before they actually start singing. Hey, you know what paradise is? It's a lie. A fantasy we create about people and places as we'd like them to be. All right, let's continue on. Joe chases after Governor Williams, um, who's taken Nina captive, and he's held at this lavish home in the country. Uh, Joe makes it there, and he goes inside to save Nina. But when he gets to the bedroom, he finds Governor Williams already dead on the floor and his throat is cut. And your first reaction is you're like, oh, I'm so glad that she was, you know, she didn't have to go through that ordeal. As in Nina didn't have to go through that ordeal. But this isn't, we we have to remember saving a girl from being sexually assaulted is obviously a huge part of what Joe's doing, but it's not the core of what he's doing. He's trying to save some purity here. And seeing that she had to literally slit the throat of this governor to save herself sends him into a panic attack. We hear his father yelling at him, to stand up straight and not be a pussy. But, but that doesn't... Uh, we see how ridiculous that is, but Joe doesn't. And he feels he wasn't strong, and if he feels he was weak... And he wasn't able to save Nina's innocence. And now she has blood on her hands. He goes downstairs. And literally, like, his whole past is, like, you know, vibrating the entire house. There's, like, you know, banging going on where he looks and he sees his, you know, his mother and his father sitting close by. We see all these things again. The past is living in the present. And Joe finds her sitting at a dinner table and she's eating just a meal that had been prepared for her but now because she slit the governor's throat there's blood all over her hands and the blood's made it onto the food and she's just eating this meal that's prepared for her joe walks to her side and he looks her in the eyes and he's completely de- dejected here and despite him and this is interesting despite him killing the other guards so that she could walk free and allowing her to be successful and you know killing the governor and essentially getting away there's no peace in that for joe there's no peace in that because the innocence has been lost she had to spill blood and basically sacrifice at least part of her sanity to survive and so he goes to her side and she has to tell him it's okay joe it's okay and again he finds no peace in this and so we're at the final scene. The two sit in a diner. And here's where we get to the crux of what's going on. And so we have this theme of all this, like, you know, hopelessness and futility. And here's where we get Ramsay's answer to what's going on here. Nina asks where they're going. Her father's dead. Joe's mother's dead. Where are they going? And Joe says, we can go wherever you want. Where do you want to go? And she says she doesn't know. And Joe doesn't either. And the needle walks away, and Joe sits at the table, and tears start to form in his eyes, and fall down his face. And the question is, where do you go when you realize that there may not be any purity left in this broken world? Where do you go from there, literally and figuratively? In this case, what do you do? And here's where we get some a second level of a uh, thematic clarity here. Joe, Joe pulls out a gun And he shoots himself in the head The surrounding cafe is just completely unaffected they, It basically didn't happen there And the waitress Covered in blood Walks over And puts the bill on his table And walks away The implication here is That like, to quit and give up Doesn't absolve you Of responsibility for the world in general the bill is still laid in front of you. And the outside world is fairly unaffected. So what do you do? What do you do? Just like literally where do you go? And then Ramsey gives, gives us the real answer that she wants to give us. And Nina walks back out. We see that Joe hasn't actually killed himself. He's simply just laying his head on the table. Nina asks him to wake up. Wake up. And then she looks him in the eyes almost with a smile, and says, let's go. It's a beautiful day. If you found this discussion valuable, please go to our website and subscribe to our newsletter, which you can access at the bottom of any of our journal entries, film reviews, or podcasts. But also, if you're on Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button and give us a five-star rating. This is Brett Hoy from Monolith Medium. Thank you.